Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 164 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deanna and they, them pronouns, a community engagement manager here at MCP. And I am joined by a fourth grade teacher, Desiree Nunez. Welcome, Desiree. Hi. Uh, it's so exciting to be in this space with you because, again, we've seen each other across social medias and all the things that we're doing with MCP. So it's just really, really nice to have the sacred space to to have a conversation in, in real time, right? And so thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. And before we get started, what's bringing you joy currently? Um, lots of things, but I'm actually preparing to run my first half marathon, not this weekend, but the next. So that I'm 37, so that feels like a big accomplishment. <laughs> Yes, that's so exciting. Are you doing the training? And all I of have, I've been, I started the training over the summer. So this week I did my last big run, which was 10 miles. Oh, love it. Love <laughs> it. Love it. Are you like super excited, nervous? What's the feeling right now? Mostly excited. I was having a little calf pain from the long run. So I reverting back to my original goal of just finish <laughs> as yep. opposed to having a, a time frame on it. So I just want to finish. I love that. Well, I mean, good luck. Half marathons are so fun and you're doing it the quote unquote right way. I used to run half marathons and I never trained for it. <laughs> so my body now, and I'm 35 and my body now is like, Mm-mm, you're not, not doing that again. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> my knees are like, Mm-mm, you did too much. Yep. <laughs> um, so thank you for sharing that and good luck. And I hope it all works out really well and that you do finish and that you do meet your time goal as well. Um, okay. So we'll shift a little bit. Tell us more about who you are and how you started your MCP journey. Um, I am a fourth grade teacher in California. Um, this is my, I think fourth year in the gate program, but I've pretty much have always been fourth grade. It's my 10th year at the district. And I first learned about MCP. I pretty sure it was the cult of pedagogy, um, podcast. I was trying to think back of when it was, but I'm pretty sure it was that, um, And a little bit about my journey with it is I am fully implemented in mathematics and then pieces of my other components because I'm a self-contained. My favorite one that's kind of everywhere is the idea of a must do should do aspire to especially my uh, current contact context of the gifted population that was just a, a perfect fit for them. And that's great. So for listeners who don't know, and also for me, what is GATE exactly? Um, It's the like talented and gifted population. So they're identified through a variety of methods, depending on the district. Ours is a a particular assessment. Um, And so they, in our context, they're all grouped in a self-contained classroom for third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's really interesting because I know that in some uh, school districts, it's tag, right? Like talented and gifted, but then y'all's are gate. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Cool. 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 Good to know. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you for the, for clarifying. So, um, this month we're talking about how educators can protect their time and their peace. It's really important, right? Um, and so this episode for this week is titled 40 hour work week. And so let's talk about the traditional expectations around educators working hours. Um, and do you think those expectations have evolved, especially with COVID or do you think 
that it stayed the same. Also, before you answer that, another question is, as a fourth grade self-contained educator, um, is 40 hours, like, is that sustainable? Like, can we do a 40-hour work week? Uh, good questions. I'll try, try to start from the top and work my way down. I, For me, my experience with the traditional mindset is we're going to do whatever it takes because it's what's best for the students. And um, obviously, we go into this profession because that speaks to us. But I think that often implies that you're working a unsustainable amount of hours, giving up weekends, any personal life, family life. Um, you know, you're expected to volunteer your personal time for anything happening on campus. So it was kind of all encompassing, um, I think is the traditional, uh, the traditional mindset. And when I first came into teaching, I didn't even really question, um, that perspective because I was so passionate about the work at that time. I was just getting, I was just married. I didn't have children. So I, I really didn't question it. Um, and then I think since COVID, I, I don't think it's helped because now we have this added pressure of trying to catch up from that time period. So it's all the regular, mindset now compounded by filling in the gaps of, you know, all the things from COVID, social, emotional, academic, all the things. So it, it, it definitely did not help <laughs> at all. Um, but I think one mindset shift related to our topic today that helped me um, is what's best for students and what's best for teachers. They don't have to be at odds. They can be the same thing. And if we can find what that is, a win-win for us, then it's going to create the best sustainable educational system for everybody involved. Because if you have burnt out teachers, that's a bad thing because we're not at our best. We're quitting. We're leaving the profession. Um, but obviously, we're here for the kids. So we need to do what's best for them as well. But they don't have to be at odds. So that's a mindset shift that I made for myself throughout um, my experiences. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting that you mention um, the mass exodus of like teachers leaving the profession, right? Uh, what was your motivation to be like, you know what, COVID happened. Yes, it's harder. Yes, it's different. Um, yes, it's a challenge. And I'm staying. What was I, like your biggest thing? Uh, you know, I think, you know, they talk about trying to do the hard work when you're in the valley is not the place to do it. I started that kind of mindset shift um, when I started, when I was going to have my first child. And I think that carried me through, honestly. I was... I decided that before I had children, I either had to fix my work hours, my workload, um, or find a different job because I couldn't be a good mother the way I wanted to and still maintain the workload I wanted. So I think the the work I did before COVID is what carried me through. Ooh, okay. Okay. So it seems like what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of like inner work here, right? Like the 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 mind shift is really you. It's you. Um, even with all the pressure from society, from policies, from the school district, from school leaders, right? Uh, it was kind of a shift in your head of like, you know what? I love teaching and I'm going to make this work for me. And I think sometimes um, we forget that, that we have that um, control to to shift, right? Um, and it's, you know, when you were talking about how um, even, you know, during COVID and after COVID, right, when all this is happening, the expectations stayed the same, if not more. And that's like really disheartening. And yet it's not surprising, right? Like it, it's, it's kind of, it's one of those things where, okay, students were at home. And so like our families and caregivers understood then or had a glimpse of like, oh my gosh, this is hard work. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and there was like a lot of like celebrations for teachers. And then towards the end, it was like, oh no, it's back to like against teachers. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is such like a roller coaster. And it's so wild. And 
And the whole concept of like, if educators or teachers are not happy, then our students are not happy, right? And I really like what you said too about um, the same practices that we do for our students. It can align with what we do with our with our educators, right? And sometimes we forget that. Absolutely. And, and we definitely saw that pendulum swing in my neck of the woods as well. When it first um, happened, we were able to work from home or our classrooms, kind of wherever we suited um, us best. And then when the pe- pendulum swung the other way, where like we're, we're just getting paid to sit at home and watch TV, it was like now we had to work in our classrooms. I was already doing that because I had little kids at home and there was no getting work done there. So for me, it wasn't a big deal. But for other teachers, because of that shift, again, it just... Um, put more and more on their plate. And instead of making choices and flexibility to make it easiest for them, it was, um, you know, this kind of false um, perception of holding us accountable for doing our job. Yeah, it it just seems um, for me, right, it just seemed like there was a lot of um, a lack of trust for like teachers to do what we need to do um, amidst these times. And it's just really, really, really like sad. Um, but then we have like school leaders who are elevating and ensuring that like our, our teachers are good, you know, that they're creating like they're they're protecting their teachers piece, which is really, really good. OK, and I can go on about this, too, because I was definitely like one of those educators to Desiree where I would I would boast about like, oh, I had a 12 hour day, right? Like I had to stay and watch a basketball game. I did this and I did that with the kids. And like my whole life really revolved on teaching. Like I was, my whole identity was teaching. And so um, now I'm like having such a hard time shifting away from, I'm not, I'm a teacher and I'm also all of these things, right? And so this is such an exciting uh, conversation because, you know, the whole 40 hour work week, I mean, it's really difficult. And, and we know as educators, like work never stops. It never stops. We always have something to do. Um, we have 10 things to do. We'll get like three things done and then 15 more things pop up. And so a lot of our educators take work home and or work just nonstop, like what we were talking about, right? So how are you able to stick with this 40 hour work week after you shifted your mindset? It's definitely been a journey. It did not just happen. You know, I didn't go from 60 hours to 40 hours because I I thought about it. You know, I didn't manifest it in my brain. It just happened. So it it certainly was a journey. Um, and like you mentioned, I think the building better uh, mindsets definitely ha- were as helpful, but as well as some particular habits. Um, and then, you know, you talked about how am I keeping that? Um, I, I still have seasons, right? Of busy seasons. Our trimester ends today. So I'm going to have a short busy season of wrapping that up and doing all the paperwork and things I need to do for our reporting period. Um, but I, I give myself a starting and end point for that busy season. And I don't feel resentful because the weeks leading up, I did protect my time. Um, so conferences and the grading periods, certainly there's a busy season. And I do tend to work a little bit more than 40 hours, but it, and now instead of jumping up to 50 or 60, it's like, I might work 45. I'm totally happy working 45 hours for a week or two. Um, So it's been a journey and there is still busy seasons where the quote unquote perfect 40 hour week is not, is not happening. Um, And then some of the mindset shifts are it's a marathon, not a sprint. I went into teaching and I wanted to be the best teacher, the most dynamic, have all the things, the best practices. And I wanted to do it from like 
the ground. You know, I just want to hit the ground running. And I think I did accomplish that, but the way I was doing it was not sustainable. So changing my mindset of it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I don't have to do all 45 iterations of that this school year. I can do one and the next year do another because I'm in this career for the long term for myself. Um, another mindset shift is every time you say yes to one thing, you're automatically saying no to an, uh, another. So trying to be intentional. I said yes to you mentioned that you were saying for the basketball games and doing those kinds of things, which obviously it's a great practice building connections with your students, but you said yes to that. So what did you have to say no to? So it's okay to say yes, but be intentional about that. If I'm saying yes to that at the expense of spending um, time with my children that I promised them, then then that's not a good trade-off in that particular situation. And and that's going to look different for every person, but that mindset helps. Um, another one is 80% done by somebody else is better than 100% done by me, which um, means I have to let go of control. I think teachers, we tend to be control freaks and we want it our way. Um, but that, again, if I'm trying to do all the things, I, I have to be flexible in some areas. So if that means letting the students have more ownership in certain areas um, and, and doing that, that was really helpful. Or relying on my colleagues or even things at home, my husband can do a lot. He's very, very helpful, but it will look different than when I do it. And and that's okay. So that was being a control freak and a workaholic. That was definitely a hard one. Um, And then I think my two biggest, most impactful mindset shifts were the MVP, the minimal viable product. Um, So this is here's my first round at that lesson or that strategy or that project. It's it's, as good as it's going to get for right now. It's the minimal viable product. It will work. It's not what I want. It's not where I want it to be, but I'm okay with that. It will work for right now. And, and actually that's worked out even better because then I'm playing with it with the students before I spend all these hours and hours of time and what I think it needs in my brain. I I know factually from, you know, my observations in class. And so now I'm spending that extra time in places I know it's needed and then my my second one for the top two is lowering your standards in areas where no one will notice but you. I struggled with really understanding what that meant because I strongly believe in having high standards. Um, but there are some things that I was spending hours of time on. Nobody knew I was spending hours of time. Nobody cared that I did it. I knew it. I felt good. Like you said, I I did 12 hours today. Nobody knew. Nobody cared. It didn't, it didn't um, have the an impact on my students or their families or anything other than me spending all this time on it. So um, again, not having low standards, but lowering your standards in places that nobody's noticing. I I can go on and on and on. I don't know how long you want me to talk. (laughs) No, these are, these are really great. I mean, you said a lot of great things, right? So for example, the whole, like, if you say yes, you're saying no to something else. And something that I'm learning is that when you say yes, you're saying no to yourself. Mm. Right. Like, and that's like the biggest thing that I was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't want to say no to myself. I want to be able to say yes to myself and then like think about every other request and, you know, and opportunities out there. Um, so I really like that. And then I also really like the control freak, freak, um, uh, comment because I feel like, especially in a modern classroom, right? Like self-pacing, you, you're going to have to let it go. (laughs) Like it, this is also really hard for me because I was that control freak. Like, uh, you know, I say it all the time when Kareem first observed my modern classroom, he was literally like, uh, this is too much. You're doing too much. Like, let go, let them learn. It'll all work out. And so that's, that's such an important thing to just continue to remind ourselves as well. Right. And, and then, you know, the whole thing about, um, the MVP, right. 
and the whole like it's the minimal like the the minimum that I have to do and and it got me thinking about like our must do's right like here is the bare minimum that you have to do to to have an understanding of what the skill and content are right and then um and then we'll add on um and then this could be a collaboration thing and this is something that I say all the time too my should do and aspire to do's my students come up with it for the most part and so it becomes a collaborative part where then there's they're they're motivated to do it because they came up with it it wasn't something that I came up with that I thought was cool and then they're like no this is actually really lame yeah. right <laughs> um and so I love that you're welcoming in the kids it's less work for you more work on the kids right because they're now creating um they're, they're now your partners, your thought partners. It's part of this learning community that we're trying to create, right? Um, and then when you said you got to lower your expectations, I was like, oh my gosh, where is this going? <laughs> and then you like clarified. Thank you for clarifying that yeah. because I was like, holy cow, you're absolutely right. Like I do have to lower my expectations of things that don't matter. <laughs> you thought you were going to have to edit that part out, huh? <laughs> but I was like, oh my gosh, it's so right because I also, I mean, coming from an Asian upbringing and household, right? Like our expectations were always high. Like there was, there was nothing that we could, like we couldn't lower them at all. And so this is a nice reminder for myself. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I really, really appreciate that. Uh, okay. So we mentioned, you know, uh, modern classroom and how like we're relinquishing control. We actually have more time with our students to collaborate with them. Um, and so when, when students are taking your math class, it's self-pacing, right? Um, let's talk about educator time because we often get comments or questions from our educators who are just now implementing and they just don't know what to do with, with, with the educator time, right? Um, and so while students are self-pacing, because I know this was, this happened to me, like the first two weeks that I, I implemented self-pacing, I was like, oh, they don't need me. So I'm just going to chill. <laughs> and it's like, no, <laughs> I missed so many opportunities to like check in with kids because I didn't know. <laughs> I, I'm just as busy now as in, as in any other structure, truly. And sometimes like, oh my goodness, I need more time even with the self-pacing. There's there is so much to do with this model. I, I think you're right. At first, it's like, okay, the things I used to do is running automatically here. So now what? But there's so much, so much to do. Um, you know, and I think part of it was a, a, my mindset too, initially, where I thought I was a bad teacher if I wasn't constantly running at full speed um, and right next to them the whole, the whole way. So, you know, I had that same thing too. I'm like sitting here, am I, I'm at my desk and what if my admin walks in or, but I'm checking their expert checks and I'm pulling small groups. I'm meeting with them one-on-one. I'm holding them. I have time to hold them accountable for math practices, like attending to precision because it's not a big deal, you know? And so I have so much time to individualize it even more um, than than ever before. Like even today, um, I had my expert checks. And so sometimes if it's a little error that I think they can fix on their own, I just put an R on it, they get it back, they fix it, they resubmit it. If I see a larger misconception, um, usually there's multiple kids with the same type of error misconception, I can pull them in a small group and let them try again. So I, I'm constantly with the students again, small group or one-on-one, um, fixing those misconceptions and providing more time and practice. Uh, so I'm, it's, I'm very, very busy for so much so where I think it was in the Facebook group. Someone had the whiteboard idea of 
um, now, soon, anytime. So I have a little mini whiteboard and the kids we talk about now is like, you can't work on anything. You can't move forward without me soon. Is it's a math question. You have some things to work on, but you're going to need me during this work block. Anytime is like, even if they have an unrelated question, it's there. And um, it, so I'm so busy working with kids all the time, even in this model that I had to add that in from somebody's great idea from the Facebook group. And I really like that because I also had that bottleneck problem when I first started implementing. I was just like, oh my gosh, everyone wants me right now. Like, oh, this is so overwhelming. But then it also just shows our kids learned helplessness, right? Like if they can't figure something out, they know automatically they got to ask the teacher. And it's like, no, you actually have all the resources that you need and you can go ask your friend. And then for them, like sometimes my middle schoolers would be like, wait, what? I could, what do you mean I can ask a friend? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they know they can collaborate and work together on everything but the expert check so I, and actually I teach them that you need to ask three before me before your name goes on there either it's an expert check so you can't or you've asked three people and if that's the case then I need to probably do a whole class activity if three other people couldn't help you with that particular thing and you know I think also again like what are we doing with our time it does provide a little bit of margin but then I get to work on these other really important work habits like being a self-starter organization priority prioritizing task, applying feedback, independence, all of these other life skills that are necessary. You know, I, I have the time to talk to them about these other particular things too, especially prioritizing tasks with the must do, should do, aspire to, and the target deadlines with them with my hard deadline. It creates such a perfect um, environment for tackling these other things. And it's, it's so much fun. I love that part. Yeah. And, and you think they're fourth graders, right? Like they're still really young and then they're able to like advocate for themselves. They're able to prioritize, to manage their time. It's like, whoa, these are skills that I'm still learning as an adult <laughs> and yeah. you're learning now. <laughs> and I get to have those conversations with them. We do the um, seven habits of highly successful people. We're implementing it for the first time this year in my district. And it's great because like you said, I'm still practicing those things and I get to talk to them. Hey, here's where it worked out. Here's where I dropped the ball and here's how I picked it back up. And so we're having these real conversations and I get to share those personal stories as it relates to school um, to help them as well. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's, again, it's just being humans, right? Like we are humans and these are skills that we need to to learn to to be able to survive in this world, honestly. Yeah. Okay. So real question, because I know our listeners and our community is probably going to ask, how how do you make time to grade all of your expert checks? Um, how do you make sure that you're not taking work home? Because I think our community asked too, like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I have a lot to check. I have a lot of feedback to, to check. So how do you manage that? Um, I've definitely done a variety of iterations of trying to see what works. And I think um, there's not a one right answer for everybody. And even for me, year by year, it's changed a little bit depending on my um, schedule, both here at work and personally. So it it changes. Um, But one thing I would say is making sure that your expert checks are short and to the point. What was your one? um, You know, I I think I always um, do my units with a learning progression. So here's my ultimate goal uh, throughout my unit. Here's the learning progression. So that lesson, I'm only checking this one itty bitty little skill. So really, it's it's pretty quick and easy to get through them. I, I can stay for, you know, 20 minutes after school and get through all of the expert checks for that that lesson that was required. Um, and then part of it, just like anything, right, practice, you get a little bit more efficient along the way as well. But I think if it's taking you way too long where you're taking a bunch home, probably your expert checks are too big and broad as opposed to um, highly targeted. And that just allows you to do better um, intervention as well within your own classroom and, and with the greater population if you have a tiered system. 
Yeah, and I think for me, because we also had a lot of iterations for this, um, and something that I realized is, of course, we have to do test-taking skills, right, because of the standardized tests that our students have to take. So we did have, like, multiple choice. Mm-hmm. How And we had a multiple choice, so it'll be, like, one or two of them. And then the last part would just be, like, how do you know? Like, tell me how you know, right? And so then that's how I can say, like, okay, that either just guessed or, like, and I taught English. So, like, students had to go back to the text and make references. So that was, like, just an extra thing for me. But I know that, like, the multiple choice was graded automatically. But the how do you know part was something that I had to look at. And that was very quick as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it gets more, you know, with math, it's, I think, a little bit easier sometimes. But I've also, now that I've been in this um, this model for a while, I'm going back and reflecting on the type of assessment I'm doing and the way I'm doing it. So, you know, if I if this is in the beginning part of the unit, they need to know the the language of the discipline, the vocabulary for that particular, that can be a multiple choice, but that's not grading my standard, right? That's a very found at the leading up to what I need them to do. So I need to go back and revamp some of my expert checks to make sure the type of assessment matches what I was doing. Because when I first created them, I just was trying to do the model and I knew I needed an expert check. And I think sometimes when you learn something new, you forget about some other things. And and then as you get settled, you have to bring back in these other great practices that we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree with you because again, like we're just inundated with so many different things, right? And so it's, it's nice to have conversations with our peers to have those reminders of like, oh, this worked really well. So let's just go back to that. Um, okay, we're going to go off script a little bit, Desiree. Um, so I have a question about your planning. How long does it take for you to plan a unit and how do you how do you plan? So that when I first implemented again, I, I took the free course and I just I'm an all in kind of person. I just jumped in and, and did it. And so it was certainly a time investment in the beginning. I know you've talked about that on a ton of episodes on here. There is a time investment in the beginning. And so what I would do um, the first year, I stayed late two days a week um, creating the videos and um, doing all of that. And so. And again, I so my process is I started with the learning progression um, and I looked for natural groupings of skills to create the videos. And I know it should at maximum is like 10 minutes, right? So in that six minute mark, and I was trying to group them in that way. I used screencast and then I took the videos and I put them through Edpuzzle. So I also have that kind of quick check as well as far as that's not my expert check, but I can kind of guide them on there. And then um, I... Again, I played with a lot of varieties of different things I saw people sharing. But for a lot of my math videos, sometimes they have a sheet they're following along with me. Sometimes we just have a blank paper and they're making the notes with me. Um, And then I also took pieces of our curriculum. So I wasn't recreating uh, practice problems and things like that. I would take, you know, instead of doing all hundred, like do these two as practice, these two are the expert check, they perfectly align. So a pro to that is I didn't have to create all the worksheets off the jump. A con to that is as we're getting ready to potentially adopt a new math curriculum in the next year or two, I'll have to adjust, but that, that'll be pretty, pretty easy. So um, I le- did lean on our curriculum initially, but want to move away from that. But learning progression for me was first. You you have to know where you're going. And then the, the videos kind of wrote themselves. I, I know some people do scripts. I didn't do a script. I just pretended like I was there and I just rocked and rolled and they get rewards. If I made an error or misspoke, I like, I like great job paying attention and we all make mistakes and little deal, not a big deal. Right. We talk about that. So little deal, let's, let's keep moving forward. And, you know, I, I, I thank them for paying attention and, and helping me improve when they find the errors. Oh, it's so much fun too, right? Like, Hey, 
okay, look out for my mistakes. Because then they're paying attention to your lesson and also like figuring out like, oh man, like there's a mistake right there. I want to be able to like note that. And again, you're showing your humanness because we're not perfect. It's okay to make mistakes. And you're pointing out my mistakes. And guess what? I'm responding in a way that's like, thank you so much for pointing that out. Um, And I appreciate you like taking your time to like point it out. Right. So again, life skills, beautiful. And I, I did want to add, somebody had talked about in the group, when I first started, I was up in the Facebook group, like, constantly. Um, but we had talked about the fatigue with the videos that I do tend to see, like, in the second trimester at some point. So I started adding in the mental breaks. And so you'll see, like, some kid randomly, like, hopping like a frog across the classroom or like writing their name with their left, their non-dominant hand on the white or like doing these weirdo things in my classroom. And it just, it makes everybody laugh and giggle and like, I know what lesson you're on. And so um, I got better at adding in some fun and mental breaks within the videos using Edpuzzle. Um, and, and that, that um, made it fun for everybody. So that was, became part of my process too. Yeah. And I, I definitely noticed that as well, like the video fatigue. And I started doing that. And it brought me so much joy because I was like, oh, they're in that part. Uh, like my kids would just like randomly stand up on a on their chair because I said like, <laughs> I, said, and, I mean, it was just so because again, as an educator, then you could see who's paying attention, right? Who's where it's like a quick visual check and your kids are moving. Yes. That's a plus. All of that is great. So it doesn't take away from the video. Have fun with it. And this is what I say all the time. It's like, have fun with it. It's so much fun. You can do so many cool things. Um, okay. So what strategies and practices can educators use to effectively manage their time and workload within a 40-hour work week? Um, okay. So I have a list of some things and I'll talk. So I feel like I've talked too long, <laughs> but boundaries. And so you asked me to show off my notifications on my work computer, which I finally figured out how to do, but on my personal phone, things like that, I change all the notifications. So I do not get them at all in any way, shape or form. The parents know that they know what to expect um, from our first meeting and the beginning, whether a teacher has office hours or they know I go through every email first thing in the morning, but putting those boundaries, um, on that time. So if I, they message me on our parents square, I won't get the notification when I'm at home. I'm not somebody who can see it and then ignore it. If I see it, it stresses me out until I respond to it. So I just, I don't have any of those notifications at home. That was a big um, win for me that helped me to, to relax on my off time, which allowed me to be more productive when I came. And then um, another skill, a lot of everything I'm saying, I um, I hope you don't mind. The Angela Watson is what the the resources I utilize for this. So I definitely, you know, this is all things I learned through her. So I definitely want to give her credit. But um, batching tasks. So if there's tasks that are similar in the mindset, then batching it, it allows you to get into a flow. If you keep switching different types of tasks, then you might need a creative mindset here and a more, um, you know, attention to very specific details here. But trying to batch the tasks that are similar was helpful in being uh, productive. And then I know we all hear about checklists all the time, um, but I have a like an ongoing list, so I'm not worried about forgetting something or a good idea or a website or, you know, I love teacher podcasts and I feel like it just was filling my plate and I was anxious to get to them. So I just have an ongoing list of things that I'll, I'll reference. I don't have to worry about forgetting. Um, and then prioritizing that list. Uh, some people like the four quadrants, right, where it's like important, not important, urgent, not urgent. Um, I like the ABC. I do it that way. Um, but some way to prioritize your list. And then also it, it helped me be more productive by finding what's my one main thing for the day. 
just today, the one thing that I, and maybe that one thing is just going to make me feel really accomplished or it's going to alleviate the most stress. So you pick whatever that most important thing is and you get it done in the first possible block of time. That way you're not procrastinating and it's not, you know, hanging over your head longer than, than necessary and just getting that done. That probably that the one main thing, it really, really was helpful. So out of everything, I just rambled off one main thing a day. What is your highlighted star thing to do? Um, and then to help me accomplish that, I do my weekly schedule. Some people like to do it daily though. So today I did my schedule for next week. And so I put in my big rocks. What are the things I don't have control over? The SST meetings, the, you know, the staff meetings. I don't have control assemblies. What are those things? I put those in and then I put my daily task list in. And then in that block, where in that block of time can I get my one main thing done? And that also helps me figure out, do I need to, to bring in, come in a little earlier, stay a little late, or do I choose to work that at, during lunch or part of my lunch? And again, what, what works best for everybody is gonna gonna vary. But I have a plan, and yes, that plan gets you know revised along the way. But but having that um, in order is is really really helpful. Okay, you. I'm I'm writing notes down because I have so many follow up questions. Um, and also like I love Angela Watson's forty forty hour work week um program. Yes. And I I didn't go through it. Um, uh, my colleague Emily Culp did, and she like brought on all of the strategies that she learned and got me organized. Like I got it together after Emily was like, "Here's how you should do these things." That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so helpful. And, Right. And I feel like as a neurodivergent, I need to have a checklist, right? Like, because if I don't write it down, I'm going to forget it. And then it's like, oops, you know, I, oh, well, <laughs> it's gone. It's nowhere. Um, so I have, okay. Planner. Do you have a planner? Is it digital? Is it paper? Like, cause you know, you know, our community is going to ask. Yeah. I, again, I think it's a personality thing. I love a paper physical planner and I use the reflective teacher one from Angela Watson. Um, somebody else makes it, but I got it through her supplies. I like that it has the reflective pieces in it, but it, it's literally just a regular calendar. I like to have the calendar view so I can see the whole month. And then I like the, the week by week all in one place. So. Mine is paper. I, I use a digital calendar for the purpose of notifications. If I want a reminder a week before, a day before, an hour before. Um, but I don't, it's hard for my brain to see the bigger picture when I'm planning on the digital calendar. So I don't use the digital calendars for that part of my weekly schedule. I, I use it mostly for the notifications and to be on the same page with my husband. Like, did you check the calendar? Because I, I will, I, I will forget if it's not on the calendar. I, it's, I love that we're in this era of like, using the calendar. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like in my twenties, that definitely probably would have helped too. But like in their thirties, it's like, Oh, is it on the calendar? If it's not, it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually chilling at home. Um, and another thing that I really appreciated too, that you said with, with the one task, what is your one main task that you want to do? And then getting it done right away or like in the beginning of the day anyway, because I know that I've been reading a lot of like time management, energy management, right. And all of that good stuff. And, and it says that, the morning is actually the best because that's when your brain is like more alert, right? Or like, oh, you know, starting your day off with something that requires a lot more of your brain space because by the end of the day, you're going to be tired. Um, and the thing is, Desiree, like I know all of this and I still wait until the <laughs> afternoon to do the big things. <laughs> and then I get frustrated because I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. I don't have the capacity. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm actually a morning person. I burn out at like two o'clock, but the reality is of, you know, I take my kids to school. There's no way for me to be 
early here at work anymore at this stage of life. And so I do stay, I stay late one day a week and I, and I knock it out and I get it done, but I, I mentally prepare for it. It's the, that one day, it's the one day only that I, I stay yeah. late, but I am a morning person as well. And it just didn't work with the stage of life. Yeah. And it, I mean, like you said, it's all about preparation, right? Like we really have to take the five, 10, 15 minutes to prepare ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, just so that we know what is ahead of us. Right. Um, I think that's such an important thing to do. And, and even like the reflection piece too, right? Like taking a moment to reflect on like, how are we feeling? What went well today? What can we do better? Right. All of that good stuff. Um, one thing that I appreciate about Emily, my my coworker, uh, my colleague, one of my favorite teachers that I worked with, we implemented the model together. Uh, she also had alarms. And it would just be like alarms that like remind her like, yo, you need to go, go home. <laughs> like, don't stay here. <laughs> and it was like, and I thought like it was so odd, but now I get it because if it's just like a reminder on a reminder app, it doesn't go off. Like I ignore all my reminders on my phone, but if it's an alarm, Oh no, I got, I'm going to go. <laughs> I'll see y'all later. <laughs> and and so I plan for that ahead of time. Like you said, what, what's am I leaving? What days? But again, another mindset shift is for my particular district, I'm contracted for less than 40 hours. My required time to be on campus from point A from point B is less than 40 hours. But if I don't notice that or pay attention, I, I can feel resentful for all the work I'm doing and I am working, but I know that I have 10 hours of not contracted time to reach 40 and I get have the flexibility. We have the luxury of figuring out where do those hours come. So that was another mindset shift for me. So my students leave at 2.35. Most days I stay till 3.30, but I don't feel any kind of way about it because that's within my 40 hours and I plan for that accordingly. So actually doing the math again, mindset again, really helped um, manage that time better as well to recognize, you know, I'm required for 32 hours. I have eight, eight hours or 10 hours, whatever it works for your district. And where am I going to plug that in? That, that was very helpful. Yes. That's, that's so good. That's, these are all very great takeaways. So, um, okay. Listeners, we're going to take a quick break for an announcement. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about how to stick with a 40 hour work week. Hey, listeners, this is Zach. We have a whole bunch of learning experiences for you this week, so buckle in. You're going to hear a lot from me. Uh, but first, of course, you know if you're looking for support in launching a modern classroom, you can join our free online course, or you can sign up for the virtual mentorship program, where an expert educator can support and mentor you through creating your first fully self-paced unit. Scholarships are available, so visit modernclassrooms.org to apply and learn more. That link, of course, is in the show notes. Now, onto the learning experiences for this upcoming week. Check out the show notes again for the registration links and for more details. You can join us for the webinar, Creating Leaders Out of Teachers, where we'll explore the keys to empowering educators as visionary leaders on Tuesday, November 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Discover the magic of interactive lessons, real-time feedback, and student engagement for a dynamic and modern classroom experience at our webinar using Pear Deck in your modern classroom on November 14th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Are you interested in learning more about our virtual mentorship program? Join us for a 30-minute info session on November 15th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. If you've got questions, we have answers. Attend our monthly Q&A session to get your questions answered live on November 15th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. 
And lastly, do you need some new ideas on how to teach math using modern classrooms? Or would you just like to connect with other math teachers using the model? If so, join our interactive workshop on math in a modern classroom on November 16th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, that's it for the announcements. So let's get back into it with Tony Rose and Desiree. All right, and we're back with Desiree. Um, So this is something that I kind of uh, alluded to earlier anyway, right? Like when I implemented the model, I barely took any work home, which was like, whoo, yes, I don't have essays to grade, like nothing. Um, Because I would have like grading parties at my house and getting my, my friends to like help me because it was just wild. So then I was able to give feedback right away, right? Um, and so was it the same for you when you shifted to implementing this model or was it pretty similar? Were you doing that before? Um, and how has the model helped you with working a 40-hour work week? Yeah, I I would say I experienced some of the same kind of thing with the model where I was barely taking any work home once I had my units uh, created. Um, Same as you, I was able to give feedback right away. Um, And then my math now, because I've been fully implemented in math, I think this is my third year fully implemented in math. I the units are done. I mean, I spend my time making sure we use Google Classroom that the Google Classroom posts are ready to go out, um, making any copies I need that go with with the lessons. But there, there's math takes almost no planning outside of that. And I'm lucky enough, I even have a parent helper come and make those copies every Friday. Uh, so, which holds me accountable to make sure I got my ducks in a row for the next week, right? My parents coming on Friday, if I want to work smarter, not harder and have uh, her, utilize her well, then I need to be on point. Um, so that, that really helps. And then um, Google Classroom posts did take me a little time to compose the way I wanted and have the, all the attachments and videos and things like that initially. But now I just, I save my old Google Classroom so I can hit reuse post and I just go find that post. I reuse it. I make any tweaks or iterations I need to do. And then that's done and ready. So every year it's gotten more and more streamlined um, along the way to the point where it's like, okay, I, I can now go back and, and revamp some things that I've been wanting to tackle. Yes, yes, and yes. I hear like uh, as the months and years go by, like modern classroom itself is just like it's seamless. Like you just come in and show up and <laughs> keep it moving, which I was like, oh my gosh, it's so great, right? Um, okay, yeah, thank you for sharing that. So then, okay, so let's talk about the impact of educators' well being, right? Because this is really important, especially with everything that's happening. Um, so, how does the 40 hour work week impact educators' well being and mental health? And what are the potential benefits of this approach? I know that that you mentioned that you're you're a parent, right? And you have to set those boundaries so that you can take care of your home life. So how does it impact like making sure that we work 48 hours a week, right? Nothing more, maybe less. Yeah. <laughs> um, how does it impact our well-being and mental health? Um, like you mentioned, you know, my reasons for going into it and I've been using her content now, Angela Watson for about eight years and there is so much good stuff in there. Every year I'm either getting better at something that I was terrible at or um, snagging new things to now try to, to do. And then she's always adding new information in there as well. Um, so I, I'm always going back there to get better. She has this like paper process for all the paperwork in class. And I think this is the first year where I kind of got it. Like I've been so terrible built the paper workload. Um, but, you know, eventually I found a way to tweak it and make it my own. I, after eight years, I feel like my paper's under control. But um, with being able to keep it within that 40-hour work week, you know, that that allows me to have, you know, we always, the, the 
balance of work and life that we are always aiming for. And now I can use that time to take care of my physical health. I told you I'm training for that half marathon. Like I wouldn't have had the time to do that if I was working all those hours, nor the energy and, you know, my mental health. I can um, read and listen to things that fill me up and help me improve in ways I want to or just enjoy. So, you know, your whole being, your mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, you just have time to do it. And it, it avoids the burnout, whether that's in your career or in your personal life. So it it just helps your well-being on, on every every platform. Yeah. And I mean, I'd also just like to repeat and say, like, our work never ends. So just stop. <laughs> you can just pick it up tomorrow. It's fine. <laughs> um, and then also, like, it's not we're not saving lives per se, right? So like we can kind of pause on the sense of urgency. So we're, we're saving lives in a different way than like doctors and the health staff um, are, right? But like, I know like the sense of urgency sometimes gets to us like, oh, I have to get it done right now, right here, right? Um, and especially when it comes to like the mastery checks, the expert checks, right? Like I feel like sometimes our educators feel like they have to grade it right there and th- right then. And it's like, no, you can, you can pause. Like if you're talking to a, a student, if you have a one-on-one, you can pause. That's fine. Like, cause I definitely like told my students, like, I'm going to get to it when I get to it. Just know that I'm going to get to it, but it's going to be on my time. Right. And so like creating that boundary as well as just like, um, the sense of urgency, just like release it. It's cool. Um, and, and hearing you speak to Desiree, it seems like you give yourself a lot of grace. And I think that's really important as educators. I I'm working on it. Yeah, I've worked. I've gotten a drastically better. So thank you. I take that as a huge compliment because I wouldn't have viewed myself that way. Yeah, no, I mean, because you're like, oh, it took me like I've been using this for eight years and now I'm getting it. And I'm like, wow, like you're talking so positively about like it took you eight years. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be like, Ugh. <laughs> maybe I feel so positive because I feel like I finally have arrived this year. <laughs> But you kept going, yes, you know what I'm saying? Yes, and it's like, did. you didn't give up, you didn't stop. And now like you can kind of just like giggle or like smile or like laugh now, right? Be like, oh, I got it. It took yeah. me a while, but I'm here. We have to recognize the difference between like, that wasn't a bad idea. It was a bad implementation or I got to find a way that works for me, you know? So um, there was lots of things where I was like, man, I I missed the boat on that one, but let's try it this way. And another thing I like about her, she don't, you don't have to wait till next year to make it better. Like your kids are super flexible and they go, and then it's another, you know, teaching opportunity with good habits. Like, look, we tried this and it was a complete and utter, ep- we call them epic failures in class. Like, what did we learn? What do we want to do to make it better? And so, um, yeah, again, I, I can't say enough about the mindset shifts. I love that. It's an epic failure. And you're right. We don't have to wait. And I think sometimes when I hear educators say like, well, this is going to be too much for the kids. It's like, no, the kids can actually handle it. I think yeah. it's us. We're we're afraid. Yes. We're scared. We are hesitant as adults, rightfully so, because of experiences and all of that that we've gone through. Um, and so at the same time, again, like you said, it's a lot of inner work, right? A lot of just like mindset shifts and just kind of just going in there and knowing that you're going to mess up. <laughs> yeah. And, and you talk about well-being. Like if I'm doing, let's say a go-home routine that's causing me stress every single day, it's not, that doesn't do anything for my well-being. Like, well, that's what I established this year. So only 300 more days of that trash. Like, no, like let's try to fix it and make it better. And so that improves my well-being too, if, if we can all do that. So my kids have been talking about what they want our class culture or the vibe to be in our room. You know, one of them, they said they wanted it to be chill. And so we defined what that meant or whatever. We talked about go-home routine is not chill. 
So this, today we put on lo-fi music and they're like, oh, is this yes. chill? I'm like, yes, it is chill. And so like we just, you know, we're, we're just working. It's just way more fun that way to do it with the students. It's It's way more fun. Yeah, yeah. The whole I mean vibe checks, right? Like <laughs> I love Gen Z and their words. <laughs> it's the greatest. Um okay. So what ways can educators strike a balance between their passion for teaching and the need to limit their working hours? Because you know we're real passionate out here. <laughs> yes. I was so excited about this question. I I have wanted to be a teacher since I was in kindergarten. I love my job. There's my husband's always like, I want to make so much money where you don't have to work. I'm like, what? No. Like I want to work. I love, I love my job. Um, which again made me kind of a workaholic because I just I'm so passionate about it. Um, but I think that what we need to do for the balance is we got to be real on what's the required work of us and what's our, um, Angela Watson calls it hobby work. I love lesson designing and curriculum development. I love that. And but it's so time consuming. And I'm trying to do that for every lesson every day and every subject, like not realistic to do all the things at once, you know? So I had to be real again, must do what's required of me. These other things, I can't whine and complain about how much time it's taking me if I'm choosing to do that. I'm like, that's hobby work. And so I, I think we, we've, you know, we got to call ourselves out on that particular piece and be intentional about getting the must-dos done. And then, you know, you're going to feel less resentful about the work when you're actually calling it for what it is. So I, I think that was a big thing for me. Um, I think we also, too, we constantly hear, like, when we take care of ourselves first, then we can be our best for others. That's, that's so true. I know it gets played out, but um, it's true. So there's a reason people say it over and over and over. And then... Um, striking the balance because I am passionate about my work. Modeling these good habits for my students is a major motivator um, when I start to just dive into the work head first again. And like I, I mentioned earlier, like I share what I'm doing. Um, and so I, I use it to hold myself accountable and then to teach them these this life skills as well. Yeah. I, I love that whole modeling piece, right? Because I mean, yes, we're aware that so many sets of eyes are watching us. And so they're going to see how we respond and how we handle things. And then they'll mirror it because they do hang out with us and they spend a lot of their times with us. And so I really like that concept of like, I want to model this. So I want to be better for myself, but also my students can see how to navigate busyness and stress and like all of these things. Right. And so I, I really appreciate that. And I, I also just want to say too, that you know I, I love the fact that there's a shift now to taking care of ourselves, right? Self-care. Um, and we've done a couple of episodes on this already, which I absolutely love. And so I just want to keep reminding our listeners and our educators and school leaders out there that it is not selfish to take care of yourself. Yeah. Like, go take care of yourself. Like, I ask myself all the time, is this bringing me joy? And if it's not bringing me joy, what can I do to pause this work for right now and go do something that brings me joy, even if it's just for three, five minutes, right? And so really just making just being aware, being present and also taking care of me. Like we have to take care of ourselves before we take care of others, because then, like you said, we're just going to be resentful. And we're going to be burnt out. And that's not, that's not fun. That's not fun at all. No. And I, I, I heard some of those podcasts recently too. And, you know, we tend to think of it like, oh, getting our nails done or whatever. And maybe that is self-care for you. But, you know, I think sometimes we are ignoring the really 
um, powerful things like self-care, getting a good night's sleep. I could call watching my favorite show self-care, but if I stayed up till 2 a.m. and now I'm going to be functioning on four hours of sleep, that wasn't really self-care, right? But we like to we like to put that facade over it to call it that so we don't feel guilty when we're making those poor choices. And I, I'm saying that because I do it. So, um, but yes. yeah, I, self-care is very, very important. But again, being real with ourselves and was that actually self-care or were you avoiding? And I think you have talked about that recently. I was listening to a podcast. Yeah. Cause you know, self-care can be therapy, right? Self-care can be taking a step back and reflecting on, on how we show up and why we show up the way that we do. Self-care looks like knowing what our core values are so that we can continue saying yes to the things that align with our core values and no to the things that really don't align. And I, I love this whole concept too, that you said, like, what is it? The hobby, hobby tasks, hobby work. Yeah. Or hobby work, hobby work. Right. Like, and it's not, it's not like, invalidating it, right? Like it's great. It's something that you're passionate about as you should continue to work on it. Also know that it is a, it's hobby work. (laughs) Yeah. Do I want to spend 10 hours, you know, extra a week on that hobby? Like probably not if I'm being real, like I want to spend a couple hours, like I love it, you know, but, um, not, not that long. And, you know, sometimes the self-care I've noticed for me, it's as simple as like, I try to do three, I try, I'm terrible at it, but to do three things for myself, that make me happy. And for me, it's just going out and being in the sunshine. It's that quick and simple. Didn't cost anything. It took very little time. But so trying to think of like, what are, what is a long list of things that just bring me joy? Like singing karaoke to Disney songs with my kids makes me so happy. And so I try to, I I try to think like, what are these things that bring me joy? I'm going to try to do three of them a day. Again, they can be the, the, the most frivolous, even better. I forget the podcast to learn that from, but that has really, really helped me being an A type personality. Like what is the long list? of frivolous things that just bring me joy. And so that, that has helped a lot. So Desiree, what do you hope to see in the future and what goals do you have? Um, with the Modern Classroom Project, I'd love to revamp some of those math units. Like I mentioned, that was my, I jumped all both feet in. So that was my first really round. And the iterations I've done have been more of the um, manage, class management here in person and the whole class interactions that we do is where I spent most of the time. So I do want to go back and do those. I've just kind of been avoiding it because if I change the video, then I got to put it back to Edpuzzle and all the things. Uh, but that would be next. And um, for work or general goals, I eventually I want to move into some type of coaching or designing role. I just really worry right now about missing the students. And then I think that as soon as you leave the classroom, you immediately kind of lose touch. And so um, I don't know what a perfect role would look like where I still get to have that interaction with the students and be in, you know, the quote unquote trenches with them doing all the things and coaching. So if that dream job ever comes up, then I'm going to jump for it. Yeah, I mean, you're so right about the whole missing kids because I definitely, definitely miss the students. And I definitely miss, like miss them keeping me young. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know definitely I, them. I stole your language of like them giving you all the tea. And so I love, I love that. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm still in that. I'm t- totally <laughs> taking that. So I'll tell the kids, I'll see them whispering like, what's going on over here? Like <laughs> they get a kick out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the best. And so like, I miss that interaction. And I know there are some like positions where you can coach like, um, coach for the most part and then still have one class. I think you can make um, requests like that too. Cause I know when I first started with modern classroom, I definitely was like, Hey, can I still teach like one class? Because I want to be able to do the things that I'm saying to do mm-hmm. in my own classroom and then seeing like how things change. Right. Because I was definitely that teacher. That's like, Oh, how long have you been away from the classroom? <laughs> <laughs> Which- so. 
I which is, totally you know, it. part of it is like, okay, but it, it's true. It totally is true. And it happens so quickly. I, during COVID, I went back to school and I got my um, STEM master's, my single subject in math. So I, I wanted, and I did that for just, so I have choices and flexibility and options. I always want to be in education in some way, but I never want to feel like that cranky old teacher that should have left a long time ago. So I wanted to give myself, you know, just lots of options. <laughs> Yes, I love that so much. And so and and I get to have conversations with educators like you, Desiree, that keep, you know, you, y'all keep me humble because, like, again, I haven't been in the classroom since 2021. Um, and so it's and I know things shift a lot, like within mm-hmm. a year. And so I, I know, you know, some of the things that I lack. And so it's, it's really always exciting to have educators come in. And I just really love the fact that you're still in the classroom. Um, and I get to see that classroom right behind you, which is really, really dope. So, um, okay, well, how can our listeners connect with you just so that they could be like, you know, teacher mindset, I need some accountability. <laughs> part. Like, I, I need something. <laughs> um, my work email, I, I, I imagine it'll be in the show notes, but D Nunez, N-U-N-E-Z at Stan union.k12.ca.us all the things um and then instagram it's just desiree d-e-s-i-r-a-e underscore nunez n-u-n-e-z perfect and we'll have this in the show notes as well as like your cute little bio in our podcast episode that folks can just click on as well so you don't have to like write it down um okay well in that case thank you so much desiree we went over time I'm obviously some technical difficulties and I really, really just appreciate your, your vibes. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Tony Rose. Yeah. It, it was great. Like I said, to meet you in person. So well, yeah. person. <laughs> um, yeah. So listeners, remember you can always email us at podcast at modern classrooms.org and you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast at modern classrooms.org slash one sixty four. We'll have this episode's transcript uploaded by Friday. So be sure to check back to access those. Also, we are asking our listeners to leave a review. This podcast has been helpful in supporting you to create a blended self-paced and mastery based learning environment. It does help other folks find it. Y'all, thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.